Local programming on KRWG made possible in part by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to a brand new season of Fronteras uh, Changing America. It's a pleasure to be back with you for a brand new season. This, this time around, for the shows that I'll be hosting, we're going to be trying to do things a little different from last year's season. We're going to be trying to take an in-depth look into the nonprofits in and around the area, as well as having a discussion about where we take these nonprofits into the future and how they can become the cornerstone of building for tomorrow. We're going to be doing that throughout the season, so I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to that and doing that with all of you. We're also going to be having a series of topics regarding politics. As you know, we love to have political roundtables here at Fronteras from time to time. It is political season. Again, we're in the middle of a presidential campaign, and there's big topics such as immigration, education, the economy that we have to talk about. And so we're going to try to be doing a little bit of two spotlights, spotlighting nonprofits as well as spotlighting the political scene in and around our community in a national context. So for our very first show this season, I thought I'd bring on board our regular guests from last season, Dr. Joseph Viescas from Viescas Research Media and Instruction. Joseph and I go way back, we're great friends, and uh, we've had an ongoing conversation about, uh, well, Nonprofits. So we've had an ongoing conversation back on the radio days, Joseph, right. when I was on the radio. I feel nonprofits have a very important role to play when it comes to the future of our communities. Uh, I mean, we, we talk about them in, in, in terms of, of civic engagement. We talk about them uh, as, as doing roles in a community that are essential, but sometimes uh, not really uh, thought of in an every day-to-day -day life by, by El Pasoans. But they do far much more, and they could be so much more for our community. In, in, in your opinion, uh, based on what you've seen in the context of our nonprofits here, what do you think is the potential that the nonprofit world in our corridor mm -hmm. has? I think at this point, what we need to recognize about the nonprofit sector in our region of West Texas, Southern New Mexico, is that it tends to represent the fourth largest employment sector. Uh, nonprofits in Texas, in particular, have short lifespans. And in the 24 border counties that comprise the U.S.-Mexico border, we see quite an array of nonprofit organizations targeting everything from immigrants to students to families to the elderly to mainly cause-driven um, uh, or belief-driven uh, mission statements. Uh, here in El Paso and southern New Mexico, communities that are far removed from the seats of power in their respective states, we tend to see a role uh, for community figures taking on uh, an organized uh, system, whether it's education or, or poverty, it, there's a, there's in, in southern New Mexico there's quite an array here. Uh, but what you have is are people that are augmenting what the state, state agencies are able to provide for the mass public. And when there are gaps missing, uh, these are the organizations that although they seem uh, relatively in the shadows, they do quite uh, an extensive amount of work for everyday families and people in need. You know, I think they do. I think they do so much for the community. I mean, you and I have, I think, combined uh, a good amount over 20 years' experience uh, of yeah. working with nonprofits uh, in the nonprofit world. 
Uh, we've seen nonprofits at a national level, at a state level, uh, at a local level. Let's name some of these players that are in our in our corridor because we have all three levels. We have you know from from organizations like like Latinitas to organizations like a Chamber of Commerce. You know right. you have two very distinct kinds of nonprofits. What you tend to see here in, in the Las Cruces, Southern New Mexico, El Paso, West Texas area are nonprofits that are geared uh, to a, a higher number. Uh, many of these organizations are geared for Hispanic or Latino uh, po uh, populations. Uh, Border Network for Human Rights uh, specifically is an example of one that is specifically focused on, on immigration issues, human rights issues along the border that affect uh, El Paso and this community. Uh, Latinitas, as you mentioned, is one that operates in Austin and in El Paso and, and is steadily reaching into southern New Mexico. Uh, but what we have, for instance, in the case of Latinitas, you have a huge, uh, massive population here in southern New Mexico of young people uh, that are enrolled in schools and you see a particular uh, education gap according to race and to gender. Mm -hmm. So this particular nonprofit begins to not solely augment the educational environment of students, but it begins to start with culture and through the use of media technology. And providing this type of learning environment to young girls, early on they find their voices, they articulate their, their interests, they begin to explore community issues, they take on journalistic training, but this augments what they can do in the classroom. This augments what they can do together as a, as a teams. This right. changes how they understand their role uh, as young girls becoming young women inside of the community and also pulls in the family to reward and recognize and highlight the achievement of, of these young ladies. You have an organization like Latinitas, you have other organizations that you and I have been involved with like uh, the National Hispanic Institute, then you have community development organizations like uh, people like the, you know, the uh, chambers of commerce that are all trying to do community development based on business. You have mm -hmm. organizations that are also medically oriented, uh, such right. as PAHO and the like, that are that are Pan American. That PAHO is a Pan American wide health network that is based out of uh, here, out of the out of our own community, and is doing international things. Here's here's where I, I kind of see a disconnect, and and there's usually a disconnect uh, among the organizations in feeling that they somehow work in and of themselves in their own silos. And, and, yeah. and sometimes there's very, there's very little collaboration amongst a lot of these great until, organizations. Until the universal cause emerges. You know, we've had some backlash against immigration where you saw nonprofits and faith-based organizations begin to coalesce and to provide an infrastructure for a predominantly Spanish-speaking sector nationwide. Right. And you saw that community mobilization possible through nonprofits. Right now, uh, you look at uh, teacher strikes or you look at the dissolution of a massive school district in El Paso and you begin to wonder to what degree will the community offset these communities that have students that need additional learning experiences, particularly in states like Illinois and Texas where you lose funding for the arts or for advanced uh, techno technological training for more students than just the top 5%. Mm -hmm. um, these nonprofit organizations begin to teach skills that maybe we've lost in the classroom, maybe they're just not mandated by the state. But collectively, most of the time, you see various sectors of the community prioritized by more than one nonprofit, more than one state-based agency. And when they collaborate, they're more effective. One of the trends that actually you were the one that, that kind of brought me in line with this trend and, and kind of opened my eyes to it was the fact that there were more nonprofit organizations serving our community back in the World War, post-World War II era. Uh, than there are proportionately. now. Proportionately. Than there are now. Well, you had less than you had less than two million Latinos in the country. A and now you have right, exactly. over 50 million. The, the thing that the thing that really struck me though was uh, the number that you had uh, back in in one of your research pieces where you said, look, in in, in reality we have 
approximately six to 7,000 organizations nationally that are serving communities like in El Paso, mm -hmm. uh, that are serving communities like uh, Las With Cruces limited staff, with, with limited budgets, with limited lifespans. And all of them also yeah. dependent on grant funding. Grant funding mainly. Yeah. And, and, and see, that's, that's one of the things that begins to, when you saw when you saw this massive uh, recession come uh, come to being, many of these very very stable nonprofit organizations lost board members simply because they were no longer employed. Powerful players that tend to, uh, you know, become you know the the factors that lead to funding that bring in funding for various nonprofits. Suddenly, their key players no longer have that that power to to apply. Mm -hmm. We saw that shrinkage happen on a leadership base and in terms of just having the capital to wield yeah. to benefit. Uh, massive nonprofits like uh, Junior Achievement, for example, was one that you saw this directly because it has a correlation to the business sector. Um, you also see when you have shrinking budgets, not only school districts suffer, but that funding that nonprofits, many, too many, rely upon also becomes, uh, becomes uh, jeopardized. Uh, many of these large corporate foundations lost profitability. They lost the ability to infuse funding into their foundations. So by and large, nonprofits have to be able to adapt to the economy as a whole. But those that are too dependent, as you and I know, on grant funding are the most vulnerable. They also alter frequently the, the, the mission or the orientation of nonprofits because they're slowly trying to, uh, to survive and they adapt themselves to meet uh, funding requirements. You know what I think is, is one of the most interesting things? When people think of nonprofits, uh, people usually think of a nonprofit as term, in terms of grant funding and how many people do you have? Know, writing grants for you and, and, and how much funding are you receiving at the state level, at the federal mm -hmm. level. And it becomes a little bit of a, uh, of a round robin of, of rivalries, yeah. uh, among it, which really does decay collaboration within a community. You, and, you see this particularly in El Paso and in Las Cruces, particularly when you see nonprofits that target students. You do not see uh, collaboration. You tend to see competition for the same number of students. But the most interesting part to me is that there's very few uh, nonprofits outside of colleges and universities that are using a more entrepreneurial level uh, type of, 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 of model development that, that seeks collaboration, seeks research, but is also putting out, uh, I, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, products for someone to be able to consume or active material that people mm -hmm. are willing to pay for, from research to an education to et cetera. You know, a college like a, a private institution like a Harvard it's, it's still a nonprofit institution, you know, and, and that's ultimately tuition driven. That's also that's ultimately tuition driven, but they are a nonprofit. Very different scenario than say we have one a, of your Latinitas or right. local chamber of when commerce. We're talking about we're Latinitas talking. in particular, NHI. You, you're talking about 501c3s, and as right. we know, there's different nonprofit statuses for colleges, and universities, or for nonprofits that operate for political purposes, uh, in particular. Uh, but for the 501c3 sector that we tend to to discuss. Um, right now, uh, according to the, at least the research that I've done, if you look at which nonprofits emerge to serve the U.S. Latino population, right now we have disproportionately no, uh, low number of organizations serving this sector of 50 million Americans. Very, very few nonprofits geared towards Latino population. 50 million, 7,000, I mean, that's... Yeah, well, but when you look at what's growing, what you see really is the emergence of Latina leaders not only in business and in every other sector of society, but Latinas taking the lead of also growing the nonprofit sector of the U.S. Latino community or Latina uh, uh, leadership sector is redefining it, let me say. And in so doing that, we see this whole new infrastructure uh, that is redefining how we talk about the issues of importance in political races as well. So what issues we see at stake in the 2012 presidential election also have to do with what will be in vogue for funding, 
and who you are able to support on a larger level will determine to what degree are we going to uh, apply these fundings for nonprofit organizations to impact community figures so that in the future we receive benefit from the services of these charitable organizations. Is there an inherent flaw in, in the current model being used by nonprofits that, that even though they say they are supposed to be apolitical really do end up becoming politicized since they are seeking funding? Most, uh, I mean, I think there's five or six variations on, on the, the general domains where 501c3s operate for their cause room, usually they're educationally oriented. Uh, but they're trying to do some benefit to society without being partisan. Right. Uh, there is a fine line, but you see nonprofits kind of lose funding due to the outcomes of various races or to the redefinition uh, of, of entire state legislatures, for example. Um, but right now, I think to be innovative is to be successful. Mm -hmm. To show results and to prove them is also to lead to expansion and replication. To make your material visible online through social media and to spread through the, the, the participants or the beneficiaries of your services, we can redefine the awareness of nonprofits, and I think that's where we are today. Well, let's then let's 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 redesign the model here. Let's let's say throughout this season we're going to be inviting several nonprofits uh, on this on this if show. If you were to have several nonprofits here on this show, what you should challenge them is to recognize the resources that are intrinsic to Southern New Mexico and West Texas, our international border, our huge constellation of young people currently enrolled in higher education, the cultural and social norms that are unique to these border counties. These things position nonprofits in a, in a very different way than the rest of the country. And nonprofit leaders can draw upon these resources for success and ultimately to develop models that can benefit the entire state of New Mexico, all of the border counties, or in, in cases of El Paso, the rest of Texas. So that model must be built. So you tap into these resources, but then that model is built how? People are gonna, people are gonna we'll, let's say we bring on board the top, the top 15 nonprofit organizations onto our show over the course of the next season. Sure. We bring them all on, we showcase what they do, we highlight what they do, and if we were all to have them in one room, then Joseph, what, what do you, what, what do we begin to define as a new model of work? You're talking about collaboration. Sure. You're talking about a new model, perhaps of financing. I think in Southern New Mexico, you have an opportunity through the leadership of NMSU. Currently, the president of NMSU has articulated a strong demand to reposition itself as a Latino-serving organization, entity uh, HSI. And in so doing, this collaboration and success with both research, the uh, outcomes in the community, as well as partnerships within the community, can position this sector of America as having solutions for uh, changing um, uh, social dynamics. Right now, collaboration is possible here, not only because nonprofits are starved of resources in many cases. We see a university in Doña Ana County Community College System and the regionals higher ed as having an abundant, of re an abundant level of resources in terms of students who have the research and writing capabilities and the multimedia capabilities that these nonprofits so desperately need. Mm -hmm. You know, we have unusual neighbors together that aren't collaborating. Let's begin with that. Let's apply the talent that exists in the classroom in the nonprofit sector. That's one of my main uh, recommendations. The other one is ultimately proving what we do works. We have these higher ed institutions, we have professors, we have individuals who have advanced research skills in, uh, if we're talking about education or we're talking about veterans, we're talking about the economy in particular, we need collaboration with specialists who can prove what nonprofits are doing works. Third part, collaboration with elected officials, policy making that's informed by the needs and the, and the experience base of the nonprofit leaders and their facilities and their workers that are ultimately making recommendations that informs policy on a micro level that can benefit statewide residents. And you begin to see how we can begin to just target what we have here in Las Cruces and we can redefine what's possible. Now collaboration between states. 
collaborations with Chihuahua, beginning to grow a leadership base of young mentors, volunteers, people that are civically organized. If you do this for 10 years, Hector, you tell me. Uh, what if we will do come this out for 10 years, it what, would what comes out of this sector? It would, it, a lot of high quality projects would come out of that. The well, more there my, is, the more investment there is in nonprofits, the greater there is an investment in local communities. Young Absolutely. people, families have new opportunities, and ultimately that changes outcomes five, ten years from now. We're not ready for that in many cases. We're myopic. We're thinking about the next funding cycle well, next year. One of the things that struck me when I was working at City Hall or in the city of El Paso, I was there for at economic development for, for a number of years under two different mayors. Um, when we talked about community development, it was so one-dimensional. Uh -huh. You know, when it was community development was about HUD. It was about uh, housing. You know, in, in El Paso, we were talking about housing authority issues and, and things of, of that nature. We were talking about uh, uh, community building grants, stuff like that. But it was very one-dimensional and, and, and centered around that. And then you went into the economic development field, and you know, when they talked about community development, well, they were talking about it along the lines of, of business, bringing in new uh -huh. business to the right. city, building the tax base. Um, and it was really interesting that when we would talk about building a future such as well in the future one of the big lines back then was in the future we would love to have uh, the pharmaceutical industry based out of El Paso and we would like to have the pharmaceutical industry producing medicine for uh, ailments that exist predominantly in Latino communities because that's who we are excellent mission statement however the disconnect occurred that the pieces and the dominoes were not set up to eventually there because there was the collaboration that you were talking about is was really not there and it's not a comment to 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 uh, try to you know critique in a bad way but it's saying all right we have a plethora of resources now so where do we go from here so part one you're saying collaborate part two mm. you're saying let's collaborate not only in your own immediate region, but right. nationally, statewide, mm -hmm. and internationally. Transnational. In tri-state, yeah. two-nation destination. Let's collaborate with higher education, ultimately, both with the students and the faculty and the administration's leadership. Let's develop and articulate that vision for tomorrow together as leaders that are both elected and also community leaders operating these nonprofit organizations. And then the last one, Hector, is probably the most important. Let's teach young people how to grow these organizations. Too few only come to perceive them as employment opportunities, not as institutions or apparatuses that can change the directions of entire communities. Well, how many young people are actually involved in some of these organizations? That's another big question. I mean, I, you hear of a lot of great organizations in our community, um, but you only hear of the big names, and perhaps a little, some of them are more obscure. And how are they connecting themselves with, with our youth? How are they getting their message out? That's another big one. I think getting the message out right now, one of the, the great things is that we live in an era where the youth that they're serving can deliver that. In the case of some organizations, they literally craft media. In other cases, we utilize social media technology and the tendency for this region to have hyperactivity with cell phones to push that message further. Where this is a cultural characteristic, a social dynamic of this border region that we know a lot of people. That when there's, there's things that we believe in, there are things that we celebrate, we share that knowledge, we push it out there. And so the work of the nonprofits in, in our community right now, those that will survive, here's a few characteristics of them. They tend to be Latina-driven, mm -hmm. at least uh, in, in this particular at community. At least in the immediate area. In the immediate area. Yeah. There tends to be a charismatic, powerful female leader creating this organization and utilizing it as a, as a network for other leaders to push the organization further. You mm -hmm. see this throughout Texas, throughout the nation. Um, you also see the application of multimedia, effectively. 
and you also begin to see that it's, it's very effective in delivering messages community-wide, multi-generationally. Mm -hmm. um, some uh, have been able to adapt, others are still trying to figure out one or two of these steps, but right now, as you and I both know, the greater, the, uh, the greater um, capacities that these organizations have to prove what they do works will lead to more funding. The more they're available to be seen on the internet, perhaps on your show, uh, perhaps through other mediums, the more content they produce, in other words, that shows effectiveness, the more people will want to get involved. I think content's a big piece. The other big piece, and I think you began uh, speaking about it, is kind of the rally point for mm -hmm. the organizations. Initially, you were talking about immigration being a big rally point, yeah. uh, you know, and it brought people together, but it brought people together uh, around an issue that was, A, very divisive, uh, just in and of itself, politically. Mm -hmm. um, then it also brought people together to, to uh, try to do one singular thing rather than a complex strategy right. execution. So how do we in inspire? I think that's, that's the big one. You're talking about getting youth involved right. and the like. It's, the inspiration piece is a big one because you have organizations like LULAC that have been involved yeah. in, in our city for years. Right. But you see also dwindling participation in, and, in terms of their youth. And that, is, and that is the danger. You have the most famous and powerful nonprofit organizations that serve the U.S. Latino community. And these should be recognized during Hispanic Heritage Month. You know, that NCLR and LULAC go way back and they have early origins to community activists who eventually formalized these things into exactly. nonprofits. But right. these were loosely organized entities that some, in some cases became political parties and others became the foundation for new educational pathways. Right. You know, but um, at this point, I think we do need to coalesce to develop greater opportunities for infrastructure, greater opportunities for multiple generations to get involved, and, and really we do have to grow out the things that are missing from education in particular and for services for our most vulnerable members of society. Yeah. These are challenges that I think if you give to students, if you give to families, there becomes this other alternative than just getting a job, you know, just getting a job and, and having an income. What impact will you have? These are some of the few vehicles beyond the, the government opportunities that are available. These are some of the few vehicles to do work in the community that mutually benefits everybody yeah. and our future. And so in most cases, a very appealing case to, uh, to be part of these organizations, but sometimes the funding just simply isn't there. Right now, if we prove effectiveness, if we show success, that funding will come. So it, the more we collaborate, the more we can make this happen, Hector. You know, this conversation, folks, uh, began with a conversation between Joseph and I about the potential for the future precisely with our nonprofits. So throughout this season, we're going to be inviting nonprofits to come on board. Joseph, I'd like to invite you to come back with some of these nonprofits so that we can have this roundtable discussion. I think it's going to be an intriguing discussion for one particular reason. Our community is at a crossroads, and as we're at this crossroads, it's important that we begin to think about the role of these nonprofits and the role of our community leaders beyond politicians. Oftentimes we bring a political round table around the table and uh, around here and people begin to just think about um, politics only or politicians as the only source of, of, of leadership in our community and there's a lot other entities. Uh, just very briefly Joseph, in terms of the organizations that you would like to see come on the show over the course of the next season, that you would say these are excellent organizations sure. that we should have sitting around the table, who should sure. they be? Um, one of the individuals that I think is interesting, in El Paso you have the county judge, who was the former executive director of a very popular uh, nonprofit organization in El Paso that serves students, uh, community scholars. Uh, Sophia Larkin might be also a great example from there. She, she took scholars. over afterwards. And they've done a great uh, job here with a lot of You've students. had Mary Gonzalez here 
and she comes out of both NHI and also higher ed, but she also is part of a Latina sorority mm -hmm. that I think their organization, their leadership is a great example of this as well, particularly in the region. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a few others, uh, Latinitas, I tend to be gravitating towards uh, this sector of nonprofits, but in the end, I think it's an exciting, dynamic area here that we can learn a lot about and we can learn a lot more from their leaders themselves. Civic-based organizations, how about business-based organizations or uh, health-driven uh, organizations? You think one of the sectors here players? right now? Yeah, I think the El Paso Hispanic Chamber is recognized nationally as one of the premier Hispanic chambers. Uh, their leadership also provides this investment uh, that's coming up for BizTech. Uh, a role that, that uh, it, you know, b both border communities and Hispanic businesses have with technology is something that sometimes needs to be better understood. That's an event that's coming up. Here, uh, through these non excuse me, through Hispanic Heritage Month, highly recommend uh, some of the leadership from LULAC in the region as well. Uh, border Network for Human Rights, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, we have a former classmate, Jose Escobedo, who would be a perfect guest here. Uh, but uh, in terms of health foundations, you know, there's, there's plenty that we can do. Sure. These are unsung heroes. And the more that we discover about the work that they do, the more we understand whether we can support them financially or through our own service. Well, that's exactly what we're going to set out to do this season, folks. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Joseph Viesquez for coming on to the show. He has become a regular, and you will get to see him more because we will be engaging in this discussion with uh, the nonprofit organizations throughout our community. It's time to take the message that we discuss here at Fronteras of Changing America out into the community and to begin to actually engage at, at several levels. I've also been having some great conversations with some folks in education uh, that will be coming on to the show to do something very similar along the lines of education in the future. So we will be talking nonprofits, particularly those driven towards civic endeavors, education, and we will also be talking to nonprofits from the other areas, business, health, trying to figure out how do we put the puzzle together. And lastly, we will be bringing back the political roundtable this season. Our next show with, uh, with, uh, with us here is going to be hosted by Monica, but then after that, we'll have a political roundtable with uh, a few good friends. Uh, we'll actually have a friend of mine joining us all the way from Arizona. You want to tune in for that. Uh, State Representative from Arizona, Ruben Gallego, is going to join us. We're going to talk a little bit about immigration. We'll have uh, Dr. Joseph Viescas back. And we'll have a few other guests that come by our political roundtables. It's been a pleasure to be with you this evening. Until next time, and for all of us here, I'm Hector H. Lopez. Have a great evening.